Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Snake Oil Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it is hot here in Phoenix, where we're broadcasting from. In fact, I was actually in Vegas in the last couple of days. It was equally hot there, although it was a little bit cooler. Usually a few degrees cooler for Vegas. Anyway, again, welcome to the show. This is uh, your host, Jim Ventura. Uh, a little bit about Snake Oil Radio, in case it's your first time tuning in. Uh, Snake Oil Radio is a uh, radio show that comes from my monthly column that I send out uh, by email. I've got about 900 subscribers now to the uh, email column. And uh, again, uh, you know, if you're not already receiving my, my Snake Oil newsletter, please feel free to email me at VenturaSage at yahoo.com and I'll add you to the free newsletter mailing list. Uh, it also includes discounts on personal sessions and, and classes and all kinds of good information. Um, it doesn't cost anything. Anyway, so again, my name is Jim Ventura. I have been doing uh, oracle reading and counseling, uh, navigational consultant for many years now. And uh, back in 2003, I started writing the snake oil column. And, uh, you know, I've actually published the first book, Snake Oil Volume 1. It's available on Amazon. You can get hold of that directly through my website link, which is all in, on the uh, blog talk list here. And um, I published another book called Dirty Little Secrets a few years before that, and we're well on our way to a third book on top of it. So, uh, anyway, uh, it has uh, been an interesting ride, and I certainly enjoy writing and, and talking about um, a lot of different subjects. Uh, this is one of my favorite shows each month, of course. It's my column read. So, you know, almost every month I do a new column. Well, that's not totally true. Sometimes I do uh, repeat columns <laughs> uh, when I when I take vacation breaks. Uh, and... Uh, so, but this is a first uh, first of the month, so to speak, uh, show, and I'm going to do a live read of this month's column, and then uh, we're going to talk a bit about that uh, the subject that we're we're working on today. Uh, just so you know, for all my listeners uh, that are catching me live, I know a lot of you guys catch this on archive, so you're not even catching it live. First month uh, show is is basically about the column. Uh, I'm not going to take personal calls with personal questions uh, until about a half hour in, the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show. So it's going to be a while before I do that. Uh, keep in mind, guys, a lot of people listening to this on Archive are listening live, and uh, this is the subject that we're working on today. If you've got questions, uh, personal questions, uh, you always want to call in on the, um, on the Listener's Choice show. And I always do at least one of those, sometimes two a month, where I'm able to take a lot more phone calls. Those are the shows for call-ins about getting a free five-minute mini consultation, okay? So we're just going to stick with that that perspective here. Anyway, uh, and I may actually have two of those shows this month since I'm not actually doing an interview show uh, in June. I won't be uh, doing an interview show again until July. So, again, all you callers, got to hang, guys. It's going to be quite a while before I take uh, any phone calls today. Okay, so, again, been doing the column for a long time, and uh, this is, um, you know, so a lot of my, my clients who've worked with me in personal sessions uh, have heard me tell a little part of this story to them personally. So I finally actually got the, you know, this proverbial pen and paper out and actually was able to kind of write this piece. So uh, this month's column, June's 
snake oil is called Pretzel Logic. I'm going to read the uh, column and then we'll talk a bit about it. And uh, any questions or comments you guys can throw in in the chat room, and um, I'll, I'll answer those. Uh, again, we want to stay on subject, though. Okay. Pretzel Logic, snake oil. When I was about 11 years old, I remember jumping on my yellow banana seat bicycle and heading over to Pergamon's department store for a treat. I had scraped up enough money to buy myself a hot pretzel at this Long Island department store's snack bar. It was a big thrill for me to be able to buy myself something, so I was excited. The girl that worked behind the counter was about 16 years old and a miserable, pimple-faced, angry-at-the-world teenager. Not exactly a rarity in this world by any means. I ordered my big salty pretzel, and she grumpily told me it would be 35 cents. I started to carefully count out the pennies I had crammed in my pocket when she stopped me halfway through my count. With a disgusted look on her face, she said, I'm not taking all pennies. Give me real money or you're not going to get this pretzel. I was mortified. I weakly told her I had no other money, and she responded with, Well, tough for you then, no pretzel. I slunk away from the snack bar in despair. I had a difficult time holding back the tears as I rode my bike home. I hated that monster. She humiliated me for no reason. I struggled with my emotions as I rode home. Shame and abasement alternated with anger as I rehashed the incident in my mind. Later, when I recounted the story of the ugly bitch who wouldn't give me a pretzel to my friends, I used all kinds of colorful language to describe the nasty, bitter, evil troll who refused to serve me. Even throughout my tirade of angry recounting, I never thought of mentioning her race as part of my despair. She was African-American. It had nothing to do with why I hated her. I never made a connection in my mind between race and her bad behavior. I grew up in a predominantly white suburbs of Long Island, New York, yet I saw people of all colors and nationalities around me. In my own home, we, were never really, we never really heard racist language. My mom often had a few choice comments about many of the neighbors. She was not lacking in opinions. She wasn't thrilled with the divorced mother of one of my friends, and she didn't approve of the way many of my neighbors parented their kids. She wasn't fond of a lot of neighbors and made her viewpoints known to us. Still, I never really heard my mother or father make colorful negative comments about Jews, blacks, Hispanics, or anyone else who wasn't quote-unquote like us. My siblings and I often followed suit, and we also hated many of our neighbors, but it was never really racially motivated. Some of my parents' friends were clearly prejudiced. I heard a few shocking comments from time to time, but I wasn't around them enough to let them influence my beliefs. And even if I did hear more of their ugly ideas, it simply ne never made any real sense to me to think this way. To me, people were either annoying or cool. Race had no bearing on whether I liked someone or not. Something inside of me never allowed me to get twisted into seeing people in such a perverse way. I encountered racism more as an adult. I had friends who had boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, and wives that believed or said some horribly racially prejudiced things and actually meant what the things that they said. Usually these boyfriends and girlfriends had short shelf lives, though. The people with whom I have socialized with, for the most part, have always thought the way that I do. This is one of the reasons why I consider them to be my friends. I've even had a few occasions in my life where I was a victim of reverse racism. 
there were a few times when I got nasty looks when I've been in places where I was the only Caucasian guy. I even encountered a bit of this once when I was the only guy at an all-lesbian party. It seemed a few of the girls were blatantly disgusted by my presence there. Still, I can honestly count the number of times I've noticeably experienced this type of thing on one hand. Since I'm extremely white and with a fair complexion, I stand out like a sore thumb among darker races. Yet I haven't found that I suffered it in any real way because of this. Even though I had a few times when I got some dirty looks, the disdain never really bothered me. I realized a long time ago that I've definitely gotten some extra privileges because of my skin color. It isn't fair, but it's a reality. The world is not balanced and fair by any means. There are some real benefits that come from being a white male. I don't blame some minorities for feeling uncomfortable about this imbalance. It does exist in this world. Many have experienced some really shitty things because of this kind of obnoxious prejudice. Hell, I might occasionally feel the same way if I had to walk in the shoes and deal with being mistreated because of my race. While I've never been or ever will be a racist by any means, people who know me have often heard me say some of the worst racist comments of all. My reasons for doing this are purely for getting laughs and to break the bubbles of protection that many people have around their racial wounds. I'm also also from New York, and we are all wise-asses in some respects. It comes with the territory. Add Uranus in the fifth house astrologically from me. I've I've said some amazingly derogatory things about gay people, blacks, Asians, and pretty much everybody else. This includes men, Germans, Italians, homos, all groups and cultures that I actually belong to. But my terrible comments are always done with a a smile and a shit-eating grin. It's the wise-ass, shock-the-audience lover of words in me that loves to shake up his audience from time to time. I enjoy pointing out the absurd. Racism is so painfully unevolved that it gives comedians an endless supply of material to work with. My goal is to remind everyone that racism, sexism, homophobia, and every other idiotic ism is simply that, idiotic. Racism and extreme prejudice have thankfully shrunk somewhat over time, yet they are sadly still alive and well. There are a number of reasons why I think racism exists. People who have had bad experiences with someone from another race or culture will often form beliefs that are then myopically projected to everyone in that group or race. They get stuck in a lifelong lack of ability to break free from learned, limited perspectives, even though evidence often later proves these beliefs to be invalid. Some people simply still buy into prejudice, thinking that they learn from their families or communities. They seem to be missing the ability and maturity to make judgments of their own. They show their loyalty by following their families or religious beliefs. Often these people are incapable of healthy empathy. In addition, they never evolve enough to throw away old beliefs and limited narrow perspectives. The majority who still think in racist terms are simply playing a projection game. They project their own hidden fears, weaknesses, and even ideals and assign them to a particular race or group that is taking something they want or feel they deserve away from them. This then becomes a game of love-hate toward members of these groups. All the people actually think with hatred and prejudice use a kind of pretzel logic and twist themselves into something grotesque. Many spend entire lifetimes clinging tightly to their racist perceptions. Ultimately, they remain stunted and lack spiritual, emotional, and analytical mutability. 
they will inevitably sign up for the karma of being born into the life as a member of the very groups that they mistreated. Everyone eventually evolves and reaches a healthy neutrality, but it may take lifetimes to get there. Racists inevitably choose to walk a difficult road. Carrying around hate and anger will take its toll on us physically and emotionally. In many cases, this can be the seeds for cancer and other types of disease. They end up creating suffering and pain for others and themselves. Sadly, pretzel logic damages everyone it comes into contact with. Okay. So that was uh, this month's column, and you know this this was this was definitely something that was kind of a long time coming. Um, I, I, I you know I've thought about this in, in, in different capacities over the years, uh, and it was just really a matter of time before I was able to kind of sit and and write and and put this information out there. Uh, so I'm glad I finally actually got to do it. You know it's funny because these types of columns that I write. Every once in a while, I kind of hit a, a, I guess, somewhat of a somewhat controversial subject. And so it was interesting to watch the responses I get because uh, sometimes I, I get really a lot of kind of pats on the back for them. Other times I get kind of ignored about it. And then occasionally if someone gets angry and has to be removed from my mailing list because they didn't like what I said. So as you're discussing this with a client today about – you know, I always think it's better to get some kind of reaction than no reaction from people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes I think a lot of us, we try to walk kind of this, this neutral road and not let anyone get mad at us. But, uh, I mean, you know, in reality, uh, you know, people are not going to like us. You know, uh, it kind of gets into this pretzel logic thing. Um, you know, you you can't win. There's always going to be groups of people that don't like what you the group or the uh, that you necessarily belong to. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, a lot of the listeners and people that are, are, are listening and, and checking out my show are fairly metaphysical or New Age in some capacity. And, uh, you know, that there's people that, that just think New Age people are monsters in their own way or, you know, part of a cult or all kinds of interesting uh, perceptions. So you do you can spend a, you know you can spend a lifetime trying to maneuver around to be liked by everyone but but then the simple truth is again people are going to make judgments about us that really have nothing to do with us and, and in fact really more often than not that's the case with with most human experience in that way people uh you know they will they will form opinions about us and that they, things that they were taught or that they believe uh you know, this is just human nature, in that sense. You know, we we can we can we can we can shift this this conversation a little bit over to talking about something that I have kind of been posting a little bit about on Facebook, and that I do teach classes about, and I've actually even put a little bit of this in my my recent monthly column too. But we could talk a little bit about soul age, and uh, and understand the dynamic behind that and how this can also be an influence that uh, ends up forming certain elements of racial patterning as well, too. Um, you know, we, we move through, one, one of, I've mentioned this in the show before, one of my favorite teachings is a series of books called uh, Messages from Michael by Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough. I believe they're still in print. Uh, so I would definitely, anyone who's interested in really, really good channeling information can check out the Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough books. 
messages from Michael, followed by more messages from Michael. Third one, I think, is Michael's People. You would definitely want to start with the first book, Messages from Michael, though. But Michael, this is kind of channeled material, not to get into a lot of information about that, but he goes into a lot of detail about how there are actually five soul ages on the physical plane, infant souls, baby souls, young souls, mature souls, and old souls. And then one cycles off and recombines, so to speak, with the Tao or God, and we go through a series of lifetimes within these cycles. By the way, infant, baby, young, mature, all these these uh, labels don't have anything to do with physical age. You know, a mature soul can live to, you know, 102, just as an infant soul could live to 102. Or a mature soul can die at seven, just as a you know baby soul can die at the age of seven. So it's they're not really related to uh, chronological age. It really has to do more with soul development. And infant souls, early soul development is really about survival. Uh, baby soul development is about rules and structures and, and following the, the, the rituals and rules that one is taught by society. A lot of really kind of hardcore, quote-unquote, Bible thumpers are often baby souls that are kind of, this is what they were taught, and they, they want very rigid black and white rules on, on how things are supposed to be. The young soul stage is categorized a little bit by the he who dies with the most toys wins syndrome, that urge to climb the uh, the ladder on the physical plane and to do well and to be successful, but we get more of a polish during the young soul cycle as uh, as the soul is is progressing and and evolving, and then the mature soul cycle lifetimes are basically about really true empathy. Uh, mature souls have lived many times and often can feel themselves. And, and other people, uh, we get a real empathy, we get a real uh, creative spurt, and the mature soul cycle is really about relationships with others. Um, how do you have relationships when you can feel the way another person feels? Um, you don't often find a lot of racial prejudice by the mature soul cycle for most people, unless they were taught it when they were young. But often they'll ditch it, you know, as they, as they get older, just kind of instinctively when they, they just reject it. And then the old soul cycle is categorized by a really heavy-handed pursuit of spirituality, a lot of talents and skills and abilities, often a lot of laziness. Old souls tend to not be as, as driven as younger souls toward accomplishing tasks, but also a bit of a hedonism or an ability to be really, in, in the best possible sense of what that means, a hedonism in the sense of being able to identify and understand um, and also develop a certain level of healthy detachment as well. So that's a really brief, quick rundown of soul ages. But typically you'll often find um, the baby soul groups are more inclined to, to lock in on this rigid type of thinking and perspectives about me good, you bad, uh, good group, bad group. So this is a lot of where this comes from in, in again, psychological and, and emotional development. Um, both of my parents were baby souls. My dad was a little older sold in that respect in my mom, but um, they were very, you know, rigid in, in, in certain perspectives about what they believed. But in their defense, I can really say they were not racially dark in terms of the way that they spoke. I mean, there was certainly every once in a while you'd hear kind of an off-color thing from my dad, but it was more humor-like, sort of like how, how, how I am. My mom would be a little more toxic at times. But, again, we just didn't have a heavy-handed kind of racial issue that was really prevalent in our home. So I didn't really learn it. And, again, as I had said in the piece that I read, I wouldn't have taken to it anyway. 
I always just thought that uh, you know, when I wrote this piece, um, it, it's kind of I'm hopefully an amusing piece for people as well too because I grew up on Long Island and I don't even know if there's a Pergamon's department store anymore, but I remember that I re- I remember encountering that as a teenager and even as a young adult, uh, you know, people who were very like you know they hated Jews or they hated gay people or black people or. You know, I remember encountering that, and I, it always struck me as tremendously odd that somebody would do that, and really stupid, because, you know, again, to me, if you had a bad encounter with a human being that was part of a race or a group, how does that possibly make the whole race responsible for believing or seeing things that way? I mean, the, the whole idea of it never, never made a, a shred of sense to me. So, you know, again, I, I just never understood that. But when I began to understand and learn about soul age, I realized why it was common for, for many baby souls. Again, not all. You'll have baby souls that are kind, really good people. But they still have that rigidity that you'll often catch about them in that sense. But um, it just never took for me as an old soul uh, you know, maybe because intuitively I think I, I can remember at some levels being part of just about every group. So I just, you know, to me it just never made any sense. You know, the other thing I had mentioned this in the piece also too is, you know, a big part of this is projection. We often, as human beings, we, you know, we, we people can get very mad about a group sort of taking something that should rightfully be theirs. You know, when I when I grew up in New York, there was a big issue around affirmative action, um, and you know there were even uh, there were breaks that were given to certain groups of people to minorities, um, and I remember some of my friends bitching about that. Oh, it sucks! I'm a white guy. They only they have to take in you know they want to take black and Hispanic guys. I had a friend who was a cop who was becoming a cop, and he had to work in one of the bad areas of New York because he didn't have the right quote unquote you know, skin color credentials to get the good breaks. And I remember him bitching about it, and I always remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I, I just think that, I don't know if you really can complain that you've suffered, dude. I think it's probably a lot harder in some cases to be a minority uh, for, at multiple levels. So maybe you're getting screwed over in one area, but didn't then did these people get screwed over in a number of other areas? Like, again, it just seemed very odd to me to listen to someone going on and on about it. But I guess he was really personally affected by it. I never have been. I, you know, I really can truly say I've never really encountered anything that was a detriment um, because of my race. And, again, easy to say, white guy, you know, uh, <laughs> and there's a truth in that. But I, I just really have never encountered anything really difficult in those terms. In fact, I know, you know, a lot of times, uh, because I'm so fair, like, you know, darker skin races often find me to be very attractive because I'm such an oddity. Clearly, they're blind. <laughs> but often that, that can be the case. So, again, another benefit that has come out of it. You know, it's funny to even talk about minorities, too, because that's actually becoming fairly passe as well, too. You, we're not Saying that, you know, talking about a Hispanic or, or black person as being a minority is becoming kind of uh, an, un, an untruth. Uh, eventually, you know, because it's more of a dominant gene, white people are becoming less of the majority. And you know what I mean anyway. So there's a shifting that's going on that way too. But all of it, I mean, I could get into a lot of detail about this, but I don't want to. For the very purposeful reason of saying, 
you know, who cares? To me, you know, focusing on a racial issue or, you know, because uh, you can see the same thing with people that are um, angry with homosexuals as well. You know, there's a lot of sort of blame going on from the more rigid right that, um, you know, marriage is being ruined by gays and, you know, the moral fabric of society is falling apart. I always That's such a comical thing to me to read when someone makes a comment about one's sexuality, about it being immoral. Uh, <laughs> that's like the most, it, that's insanity, uh, to make a judgment about someone's uh, sexual orientation as immoral, as if it's a, it's, it's a conscious decision that you're going to be bad. And there's, there's always this attempt to sort of lump perverted behavior. Oh, yes, they're child molesters and, and, and animal screwers and all these other things. It, there's no higher rate of, of child molesters or abusive people among homosexual people as there are among heterosexual people. It's it's equal. There's no division that way. You're either you're either a you know a functioning homosexual or a non-functioning one, or you're a functioning heterosexual or a non-functioning one. And even that's fairly subjective. So these are all projection issues. And I know. I've actually had straight men say to me in my lifetime, "God, it would have been so e so much easier if I was gay." And I always laugh, and they and they'll usually respond by saying things like, "These are the evolved; these ones are the evolved enough to be able to think this way." By the way, kind of mature old soul evolution. They'll say, "You know, because it can be difficult dealing with women. Women have a lot of rules and regulations." They'd say, "I think if I was attracted to a guy, it would almost be easier, because at least a guy understands a guy." And then also then a guy would have the ability to be kind of do whatever he wants and not have to follow the rules and conditions of society if he wants to, and then he can if he chooses to. So it was very interesting to talk to men who were able to say that and verbalize that way. But they can't will themselves to be gay. Just as a person who's, <laughs> who's, uh, who's, who's uh, African-American can't will themselves to be white, although I guess there's been a few people that have sort of tried. We, we won't even get into that weirdness. Uh, but I think it really boils down to really being able to accept who and what you are as a person and then to find the joy in, in that experience. Uh, because while you know everything can have its detriment, it also has its positive. So it's really about where you're going to put your focus and your energy in terms of of what is um, of, of benefit, and to not focus on the negative so much. Uh, all right, let me take a little brief little break here and and welcome everyone who's uh, some people jumping in at the chat room. Welcome Mary Lee twenty four. Welcome One Love. Um, a few other people have jumped in and out. I'm sure we've got some other listeners here. So, again, I want to welcome everyone to the show. We've been talking today about what I call pretzel logic, which has to do with getting uh, distorted, twisted perspectives around um, around uh, racial matters and, and, and things related to that. And we're talking a little bit about where these things come from in human beings. Uh, you know, I coined that term pretzel logic because it is. It's sort of wrapped around in, in, in tight little, tight little uh, bows in an uncomfortable kind of a way. And I've always noticed personally that when I'm very rigid about something, that often, you know, an alternative perspective or point of view will kind of present itself, and I'll have that opportunity to uh, to be able to, um, you know, see it from a different perspective. Uh, in fact, let me mention a really brief, quick story here. It's not so much about racism, 
but uh, it is about a perception. I was uh, I was on vacation, and I got back, and my cat, very exhausted. I was in Vegas for about four days, and I had come home last night, and my cat decided she was going to cry constantly all evening, even when I went to bed. She was crying, sitting by the bed crying, in the other room crying, 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 you know, almost to the point where I had really wrestled with the idea of basically strangling her. And it was a really, really difficult experience because I was so tired and I really needed to rest and I have so much to catch up on when you get back from vacation. But I could think about how I was getting so mad that I wanted to just kind of strangle this cat. But I love her and I know that she's just hurting. And uh, and she's just hurting and she's she's sad and she is, uh, you know, she's angry that I was away. So that's really a big part of it, and she's going to make me pay a little bit in that respect. Uh, and then, you know, it's not a cat she can't logically think. It's just that she's still emotional. She wants to go outside. She wants to come in. She wants me to pet her. She wants me to, you know, play with her. She doesn't know what she wants. So, uh, yes, and it is a one loves commenting in here about uh, about uh, uh, just being a woman. Yes, it is a female cat as well. Too. Although I had a male cat, and it wasn't that much different uh, so I got to say I'm not really sure whether uh, it's necessarily a, 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 a related to to sex, uh, but you know it didn't make me hate cats for the rest of my life or decide that certain cats were bad cats or you know I mean to me you experience an anger you experience a difficult situation and an emotion and then you move it through you don't fall into something that then you hang on for the rest of your life. So when I I wrote the piece about going to Pergaments and getting the hot pretzel in my in my column, you know, when I had difficulty with a young African American woman, I didn't decide for the rest of my life that all African Americans were terrible, angry people that were going to be mean to me. So I, I think it's really funny that people will do this and and then not break that 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 perception. And hold on to it for, for dear life. You know, a lot of people, even like in, in my own family, you know, when I was I was raised Catholic, and when I was about 13 or 14 or 15, I really began to question the religion and realized by the time I was 16 or 17 that it really wasn't for me. Um, I didn't really tell my mother this, but by the time I was 17 or 18, I was able to kind of maneuver my way out of it. You know, a lot of my siblings kind of committed to the Catholicism because that's what my mother and father did. And they wanted to be loved and, and appreciated by my mom and dad. Uh, you know, many of my siblings also kind of rejected some of the basic religious stuff as well, too. And again, I'm not attacking Catholicism. There's wonderful, loving Catholic people all over the planet, too. But I, I just don't like religion. I just find that it's 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 stifling to me. Um, and uh, but uh, you know, but they they basically they never really analyzed why they were catholic i think you know and maybe 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 they really found a love in it and, and a joy in it but it's the same reason like a couple of my siblings will sort of say yeah well i'm a republican well that's because mom and dad were republicans and that's what they were taught so I, again i always find that very amusing how people don't really choose for themselves necessarily but i think that that has a lot to do with wanting to belong wanting to fit and wanting to be liked also um so I want to mention uh, one love is writing in uh, in uh, in the call in my in, in the chat room here says women tend to nag when they want attention or they just uh, reball and show they don't care. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well, too, uh, that that's really what it was. I think that, uh, going back to the cat thing, I think that was a big part of, of what she was, was going through. It was she had built up, you know, for days, I'm sure every day she waited by the door for her dad to come home, and he didn't come home. And that's actually gone for three and a half days. But uh, I'm sure that built up a lot of anguish. So uh, now, today, she's being adorable and loving again like she always is. She just had to go through her... Her tirade just about killed me last night, though. I'm still, like, just trying to recover. But I, So I hate all women, and I hate all cats. They're all terrible. This is the type of... Let, 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 let me dive into a little pretzel logic. <laughs> so, you know, here's the thing is, you know, I think that people will evolve in their own time in their own way and, and move through these racial wounds. But, you know, a lot of people, it takes multiple lifetimes before they do it. I mean, that's the beauty of reincarnation. It is going to operate whether you believe it or not. Uh, it's just, you know, and really, you, you, we, we need a number of lifetimes to really fully experience what it is to be a human being. And I think that, you know, people are often very confused about what reincarnation is anyway, too. My perception of it, it is that, you know, think of it more like, it's not like you're jumping in one body to the next. You know, think of yourself as like a, the trunk of a tree. And then you have many branches. So each of those branches is a different lifetime that you live and experience. And we're that trunk of that tree. We're, we're all interconnected that way. And I think when we pass from the physical plane, I think we eventually, so to speak, recombine or recollect with all of our past selves. I think each past self has an independent personality, but then we're all interconnected that way. So, I, But I think over time, so to speak, you know, the soul evolves, and as it moves through different racial experiences and being male and female and straight and gay and having children and not having children and wealthy, and it, it learns and it evolves and it eventually develops kind of a healthy awareness or neutrality uh, in some respects that, um, you know, uh, eventually is part of, our, uh, part of our growth. So that's my perception of it. I can go into a lot more detail about that, and I'm sure I will write about that more in the future. But I did want to kind of briefly mention that. Okay, so we got about ten minutes. I wanted to—I've uh, got one call that's been waiting since the dawn of time here. So I'm going to take this quick little five-minute call. I don't think I'll be able to take more than one call. I'm going to keep it down to about five minutes. So uh, I'm not going to put the guest call-in number out for today's show. I'll be back next week, and uh, and we'll be able to talk a lot more uh, with with personal questions. But before I take my call. Let me say uh, one love. I've been mentioning one love's comments. Always appreciate those. And Mary Lee 24 writes, uh, lots of emotion now due to Venus transit and eclipse. Absolutely. Uh, In fact, I think maybe I'll I'll talk about that a bit more in next week's show when we kind of get into some astrology information, uh, which would be good to discuss. Certainly, uh, absolutely. I've been noticing um, this Venus... uh, this Venus uh, the retrograde has been an interesting one. I, I always think Venus retrograde is still a little easier, though, just because it's Venus, as opposed to something like Mars or even Mercury, which is a little bit of a harder energy to it. But I shouldn't say that because I'm sure a lot of women would probably disagree with me and think that uh, Venus tra- uh, retrogrades can be a pain in the ass too. But they're, you know, also, uh, you know, always, always give us give us new insight. I know for me, I've been really relooking at the way I view relationships and intimacy, 
and 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 going back to some old positive ways that I've done before, and then letting go of some of the collected garbage that I've had. So it's been pretty useful. So thanks for that comment. Let me take my call here and see if we can get uh, seven eight six on the air here. Uh, seven eight six. Welcome to Snake Oil Radio. Hi. Hey, uh, how are we this chatting with today? One love. One love. How are you? Good. Hi. How are you doing? I haven't. I have not called in. in. So long, but my work schedule changed, so I'm able to catch your show. I'm happy to call in. How are you? Cool. I'm doing good. Glad you're tired, but good. How are you doing? Well, welcome back. Well, basically, I know you only have a few minutes left in the show, and I just wanted to get like an updated energy on what you pick up on my current relationship. If that's okay. Right now, you're you're you, cause we've talked before about this. In fact, have you? Are you you're also on my Facebook, right? Yes. Yeah. So we've we've talked before um, that you've had kind of someone that that's been popping in and out of your life for many many years now, but who had some issues with commitment, if I recall, right? Correct. Yeah. So okay, so I'm pulling a rune on this for you. And it actually, okay, so let me tell you what the rune is. Runes are a Viking oracle that they used as a navigational consultation. So um, let me tell you about what the rune says real quick, and then I'll tell you what kind of perceptions I'm getting from the situation here. But let me read the rune first to you. Okay, so it comes up, Wunjo reversed. So a reverse rune isn't necessarily like that it's bad. It just means that there is, um, you've got to, to, to maneuver here in a little bit of a different way. You have to be very conscious of how you maneuver. Um, so, Winjo reversed, uh, I'm going to quote directly from the Ralph Blum book uh, of the runes. He says, things are slow in coming to fruition. The process of birth is long and arduous, and fears arrive for the safety of the child within. A crisis is a difficult passage, even if brief is at hand. Consideration and deliberation are called for. Ask yourself whether you possess the virtues of seriousness, sincerity and emptiness to possess them is to have tranquility which is the ground for patience clarity and perseverance seen in its true light everything is a test and so focused in the present sincere toward others and trusting in yourself know that you cannot fail in times of crisis Winjo reverse is a useful meditation okay so you know one of the things i always find with Winjo is usually it means there is a little bit of a feeling of going through a crisis whether it's a long-term one or a brief one. So sometimes it's a crisis of, of faith, you know, or, or just a feeling of anxiety. That's where he makes an analogy about fears arising for the safety of the child within. You know, sometimes it can seem like something is taking too long, and I think that that's probably the case in your situation, that it may feel like all of this is taking too long. Would you agree with mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, I feel like you're very much in the same situation in some respects where, you know, it's almost like there's someone that I think you've been connected with and known for a very long time who kind of calls once in a while or pops up, and I feel like that you're, um, you pick up on his thoughts and his feelings, that there's kind of a really strong almost soul connection here, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, and it has yeah. been for a very long time, but... Mm-hmm. That there's difficulty with him sort of stepping up to the plate. Yeah. And when was the last time you spoke to him? It's been a minute. But it's kind of embarrassing to say on air because it's the longest time that's right. ever talked. But I feel like he has 
try to reach up but not hard enough for me to right. to show like it's been probably going private and through people and stuff and yeah and and um yeah it's been a minute and and we're kind of like at a silent standstill where I am the one that removed him from like the, you know because I was tired of him talking circles and not really you know just talking around things and trying to make it like soft and sweet and not really getting to the point which really upset me so it was just kind of sped up and I'm the one who kind of removed him from my messenger and just gotcha. he tried to add me back and I removed him again. You know what I mean? Because I just I wanted him to call me and he was hiding from the phone conversation. Right. Upset me. Right. And you know what? And and what I felt for all along with this, and I still do, is I there is there's definitely an attraction and a chemistry and a connection. But what I feel like is it's like he's afraid of the changes that he would have to make in order to be with you even though there's a part of him that wants to. So that's what's kept you kind of locked because you have that that connection and that chemistry and you could feel that he really does care, but also, you know, there's a part of him that's kind of, you know, chicken shit about yeah. doing what he has to to kind of rise to the occasion, so to speak. So what I'm kind of feeling like is I feel like, you know, at this point, because I know probably what you might be struggling with is the idea of kind of taking him out of the, of, you know, of your phone or, 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 you know, Facebook and various other things, too. It may feel part of like you're being childish, but mm-hmm. you are and you're not. Because, you know, when if you have someone that you're not, a, you know, you're with and you, you keep seeing them and you're kind of, you know, it's almost like we end up, you know, it's sort of like imagine if you lived in an apartment complex with someone and you were dating that person and then you stopped seeing them, you broke up, mm-hmm. and then you'd see him come home with a different girl sometimes. Or yeah. you end up kind of stalking inadvertently yeah. in a way that's actually kind of bad. You know, I always think mm-hmm. that with an ex, you have to just really push them away. You know what I mean? To to, mm-hmm. to push away from it. And I think that that's a big part of why you're kind of getting the impulse to do this right now, it's not so much out of a out of a out of a tirade, as much as it's really becoming an aspect of survival, at this point that you have to push it away, and that's what I'm hearing on the positive side by really really standing firm and pushing it away and and saying um, energetically that you're either going to you know you're going to step up the plate and we're going to move forward or we're not doing it at all. And I think you have to yes. actually come to that place, and I think you are there. Yeah. In that way, I'm surprised. I'm proud of myself because, like, I didn't know I can even with a strong team and do that. I remember a year back, I wasn't. Even, I was scared to even do anything like that. I was just like, yeah, I wanted him in my life, you know. Right. Yeah. But it, it is. You, you're, you're getting where... stronger in that way, and that that that's what your higher self has been pushing you to do. Not not pushing the relationship away. It's pushing you to really really find a firm place to be where you're wanting this thing to happen in your life, and if this person is not stepping up to the plate, then you'll let someone else do that. Um, you know, the thing is, you've got to realize it's really tough. Like, it's similar to, I have a friend of mine who's been dating a married guy for um, for about eight months now, and he's they have a tremendous chemistry and a connection, and he doesn't have very much intimacy with his wife, and long story short, He's made it clear, though, that the kids are young. He's not leaving his wife and his kids. He's not breaking up his marriage, but he still wants to see her. And mm-hmm. he finally just got strong enough to say, even with all the chemistry and the connection that we have, I've got to let this go because I'm never going to mm-hmm. have what I want at this point. So 
But it's not an easy thing to do because, you know, you get those days when you think of calling and what is he doing and have I cut myself mm-hmm. off from happiness and we struggle with all of those things. Um, but you want to hold firm in that. And what my suggestion for you is uh, to, to, to say, is to say to you know, kind of one last message, when you're ready to really move to the next place, then uh, then let me know. Otherwise, i got to move on. And, and well, put I think my silence way. is doing it all. I feel like yeah. it, too, it, I'm too, his, it's too good for him to, for me to send him that message. I haven't talked to him in a few good, good weeks. Then, to be honest, it's going to be right. four months this Friday, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm actually it really is. shocked. It's just, it's all, it's I don't know if, it was, if I'm like, yeah, do you feel like he will contact me? Do you feel like Yeah, I feel like he it? will in the next couple of months, but I feel like uh, you guys are saying there's also something else that springs up to consider in the next three months. So there's going to be a choice around that. And unfortunately, I've got to cut the conversation. They're going to cut us off here. <laughs> so, uh, But that's what I'm getting. They're, you're going to hear something in a couple of months, but there's going to be something else that emerges around that time too. So I like that because you guys are saying that there's a choice. And that's what you want to focus on. Trust in that, okay? okay. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. They're gonna cut us off. Okay. All right. No uh, thank you for Have calling, and we'll try next time. All right. Okay. Thank you, one love, for calling in with that. Listen, I've only got 20 seconds here. They're gonna chop our time. So uh, thank you for the call. I wish we had more time to discuss a little of that. We'll maybe catch up with it next time. Thank you for tuning in to Snake Oil Radio. I should be here next week, next Thursday. And we'll have some more time for phone calls, and we'll talk a little bit about the current astrology. Thank everyone for tuning in. Try not to get stuck in pretzel logic, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers. Jim Ventura out.